I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Graylin Loomis. I'm joined by co-host Ian Kreitzer. Ian, how are you doing today? Can't complain. Can't complain. Good. Well, we have a friend, coworker, and boss with us, George Pepper. George, your episode on season one was a big hit. Uh, no surprise that your episode here will be as well. Thank you for joining us again for uh, an episode in season two. My pleasure, guys. Always good to be with you, too. George, today we're going to talk about what I know is one of your favorite topics. It's one of my favorite topics. What was it like to live in St. Andrews? And uh, for those that don't know, George has owned property in St. Andrews for a very long time. How did all of this start? Um, Give us just a brief kind of background on what got you over there, why did you buy property, and uh, how long has all, all of this been going on? Well, this goes back to 1983. I was uh, editor of Golf Magazine at the time, and I was invited on sort of a boondoggle to St. Andrews, the, uh, I think it was the weekend, the weekend before the Open Championship that year. And the, um, the new owner of the Old Course Hotel had invited a bunch of us, and he was going to have a sort of uh, an exhibition, exhibition match between Seve Ballesteros and Jack Nicklaus on the old course. And at the last minute, <clears throat> the Lynx Trust, which manages the courses over there, decided they weren't going to have this silly match, not on the old course in the middle of uh, July on a Saturday. And it was switched to Lady Bank, a Parkland course about 10 miles down the road. And so I was driving the car, and three of my fellow scribes were in it with me, and we went down the road, and we couldn't find Lady Bank, <laughs> at which point uh, one of the venerable old scribes in the back seat, uh, Furman Bisher of the Atlanta Constitution, said, oh, hell, we don't need to go to this silly thing anyway. Why don't we go back and see if we can get on the old course? <laughs> well, none of us could argue with that idea, so I turned the car around, and back we went, and lo and behold, there was a tea time. And so, uh, remarkably, uh, four guys from the press actually reached into their wallets and paid for the green fee, and we played <laughs> the first. old course. Yeah, maybe a first. <laughs> and uh, so about uh, four hours later, uh, we returned to the old course hotel, and we walk into the lobby, and standing there is Jack Nicholas, Seve Ballesteros, the owner of the hotel, all of the other scribes who had dutifully covered this thing, including the BBC with its cameras running, and I was absolutely <laughs> mortified. I've got my clubs <laughs> over my shoulder. And <clears throat> I kind of perp walked down a, an alley to avoid the, the, the scrum. Well, Furman had no such fears. He walked right up to Nicholas, shook his hand, and said, Jack, we're awfully sorry we didn't come watch you boys at the old at uh, Lady Bank, but you see, we were able to get a tea time on the old course. <laughs> and it was on that round, playing the 18th hole that I sliced my ball basically into the town and I never found the ball but I found a for sale sign and uh, I couldn't believe that uh, this two-floor apartment on the 18th hole of the old course was for sale and it was at a ridiculously low price and so that evening I called my wife and uh, told her my story and 
amazingly got permission to make a bid on it, and two days late, later, we owned it. And wow. uh, we owned it for 30 years. And it's uh, basically, if you walk the uh, 18th hole and get to about halfway down the uh, fairway and look to your right, that's where it is. Wow. So there was a period of time from purchasing it to eventually living there that you rented it out to students, probably right. the luckiest students in all of <laughs> St. Andrews. Um, how long was that period that you rented it before you moved? Uh, let's see. That would have been about 20 years. We, we started with, I think we had a divinity student, mm-hmm. a graduate student and his wife, and he, they took great care of it. And then we, we moved down to graduate students and then down to <laughs> undergraduates who took a little bit less good care. And we eventually stopped renting it. And in 2003, uh, we moved over there full time with nice. the intent of staying for two years. And we ended up almost eight Wow. So when you moved over to stay there for, well, full time, was that for the purpose of writing two years in St. Andrews? It went, and for those who don't know that, that is a very popular book that George wrote. When did you kind of spend those quote unquote two years for the book? Was that on the early side of that? Yeah, they basically were the first two years we were there. And uh, I didn't really go over there for that purpose. Uh, our kids were out of the, the nest, and uh, my wife, bless her heart, who was, was not then a golfer, said, look, why don't we go on an adventure? We have this place. Let's go over there, fix it up, uh, try to make a killing on it, and yep. uh, then come back to the U.S. and decide what we want to be when we grow up. And, and I refuse to grow up, so that's why <laughs> we stay. So my introduction to you as a, as a writer was through Two Years in St. Andrews, your book, or as I purchased it over there, St. Andrew's uh, Sojourn. Um, For those who don't know, I uh, attended the University of St. Andrew's from 2010 to 14, and I think it was in my first week, maybe second week over there, freshman year, I was passing Waterstone's bookstore on uh, Market Street and saw this book called St. Andrew's Sojourn and thought, um, you know what? I, I'm going to buy that thing and then read it and kind of little did I know I'd be talking to you, you know, <laughs> and working with you uh, years later. But it was um, it was kind of the first gears that got turning in my head where I thought, oh, this guy had, had a pretty good life. I, I wonder <laughs> I wonder how he managed to do that. I was very, you know, it's a funny thing with the title <laughs> of that book. It was published by Simon & Schuster as Two Years in St. Andrews. And then it was bought by a British publisher, the rights to the British edition uh, called Aram Press. And the uh, publisher was a member of Troon and uh, Presswick. And and he came up to me and said, you know, we're going to change the title, not to St. Andrew's Sojourn. That was actually the paperback. Okay. He wanted to change it to A Home on the 18th. And he said, we're going to change the title and change the cover. I said, why? He said, well, we think it'll sell a little bit better than two years in St. Andrew's. I said, look. If you wanted to sell better, don't change the title. Don't change the cover. Change the name of the author to J.K. Rowling. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't do that, That, unfortunately. That could be your pen name. (laughs) (laughs) Just misspell Rowling. Double identity. (laughs) So one of the reasons that we're recording this podcast today is because you've written in the uh, spring 2019 print issue of Links about um, 
the experience of living on the 18th hole, being able to poke your head out of the window and watch everything happening during the 2005 Open Championship. It's the I was there um, kind of department uh, for this upcoming issue. And and when this comes out, um, I don't think issues will have hit. Issues might hit uh, fairly soon thereafter. But tell us about that. I, I mean, First, let's start with how many Open Championships have you seen, not period, but on the old course? How many St. Andrews Opens have you been to? Um, I'm not sure the number. I think it's either seven or eight. Everyone wow. uh, since yeah. 1978. And probably that 78 is the most memorable one of all. And we weren't living there then. Uh, my wife and I had gotten married about two months before. And Golf Magazine had kindly given me a ticket to the Open and said, go take your take her on a honeymoon, so to speak. And uh, we ended up staying in the, like the third or fourth bedroom of a rented home by a guy named Mort Ullman. I don't know if you'd recognize that name. Mm. This goes back, well, obviously 40 years. He was the proprietor of something called the Old Golf Shop based in Cincinnati, uh, an ardent golf collector. And so I gotten to know him and he kindly gave us his bedroom and I remember we had a parade of of pretty prominent players coming in there to look at some of the artifacts that Mort had I mean Ray Floyd and his wife came in and looked at a, a sterling silver golf motif toaster rack <laughs> toast rack you know <laughs> yeah and Ben Crenshaw came in and what but uh, it, it was really a, a cool week because uh, Jack Nicklaus of course won and, and I will never forget um, standing by the 18th uh, green, uh, watching him come up. You know, here's the best player in the world walking up the oldest golf course in the world and arguably the most prestigious championship in the world. And, I mean, everybody in town was there leaning out of the windows and 10 deep. And, and um, Crenshaw had finished second. I believe there was like a four-way tie. Kite, Crenshaw... Floyd and Simon Owen of New Zealand. I believe they all finished second to Nicholas by a couple of strokes. And Crenshaw is standing not far from me with tears in his eyes. Wow. You know, he, well, wow. he's one of those guys who cries at supermarket openings. Yeah. But, <laughs> but it was. It was such a powerful moment. And I don't think I'll ever forget that. And the other thing I remember um, is we had a staff of playing editors at Golf Magazine then. And we were always looking for new talent. And after that, Sunday, that uh, after the um, presentation, I made my way about three or four miles down the road to the little town of Strathkinnis, mm-hmm. and this tiny little farmhouse had been rented. And in there, in the back room, was Sevi Ballesteros. Wow. And he, of course, had played really well when Johnny Miller won at Burkdale. Um, I guess it was one year or t- uh, two years before, I guess. Yeah. And had come to prominence, and we wanted to sign him, and I hadn't met him. That's when I met Seve, and he spoke no English at all. He had (laughs) an agent by the name of Ed Barner, who he and I kind of did the contract negotiations, and I had kind of an awkward nodding. And I became friends with with Seve, and interestingly, um, the last time I saw him was also at St. Andrews. not, I guess, too long before he died. We, I was playing the 15th hole, and he was on the third hole. And as you know, the two greens mm-hmm. come together, and we saw each other from 50 feet away. And he always called me Yorsh. He said, Yorsh? <laughs> Sammy. He, he said, I said, 
what are you doing here? And he gave me, he says, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I said, I live here. He said, all year round? He said, yes. <laughs> so good memories. Wow. Good memories. Wow. Amazing. Um, so let's just take a step back and talk about what it's like to actually live in St. Andrews because it's a place that um, many golf travel nuts experience at some point in their life, but usually it's for a three, four-day period max maybe a, a 10 day period yeah. and it's always vacation um tell us what is it like day to day um and what is it like outside of the the june july and august period where most tourists are there um tell us about your kind of golf experiences that you would have had let's say on a march day in st hmm. andrews yeah. Well, it's a great town. It's a university town. It's a beach town. It's a history town. You know, apart from the golf, it's a great place where a lot, a lot of people in America go to retire to beach towns or history towns or universities. Mm -hmm. Well, San Andreas has all of it, plus the golf. Um, it's also the most cosmopolitan small town, certainly in the UK. I mean, something is always going on there. Uh, in the summer, it's, of course, the onslaught of tourists from all over the world. But my favorite time really was um, right around the last week in October mm -hmm. when the Dunhill Cup was done. And you could hear this great sucking sound when all the tourists finally went away. <laughs> and the, and the, the town was left to us, us locals. I, I've, after a couple of years, I did feel I was somewhat of a local, um, although you, you need to be there, a seventh-generation St. Andrean to really claim <laughs> that. Um, and it was my favorite time of the year. It, it is when I do recommend people go uh, anywhere between October and end of March because you can get on the old course. The ba ballot is really just a formality. There's no risk of not getting on. Um, the wet weather is... Really not much worse than a, a winter in, I don't know, South Carolina, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Rarely do you see snow. It could be 75. It could be 45. Um, and it's, you know, it's just, uh, it's fun. It's, you do have to uh, suit up. Uh, in the old course, you play off mats. Uh, they don't want the hallowed turf being desecrated. And, uh, and so from, I think they begin November 1, you have this little uh, AstroTurf mat that you stick in your bag or some guys dry, drag it behind their uh, bag. And uh, you, you do have to layer up. Um, I, I think it was Henry Longhurst who said, uh, before I tried, it, I tried it, I thought uh, you could, couldn't play golf Unless you had five layers of clothing on, and then I tried it, and I realized you can't play golf with five layers of clothing on. But uh, you, it is this. When I first got there and saw people playing in December, January, I thought they were absolute fools. And within two weeks, I out was out there with them. And, it, you know, if you know you're going to have a, a nice stiff whiskey at the end of it, and a lot of guys reach into the bag in the middle and take a swig. Um, it, it's really this wonderful, I said in the book, it's a sense of camaraderie, uh, probably not unlike that felt by Siberian letter carriers. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so one of the things that I um, always encourage people to do when they're trying to figure out what time of year to go to Scotland and particularly St. Andrews, 
you can go on the St. Andrews Links website and you can look at the ballot results and see on any given day who is playing the old course today. And it's always kind of interesting. Typically, it's just a first initial and a last name, but you can still see some interesting people. And you list a home club, and and a home club could be, you know, your local Muni or it could be, you know, Pine Valley or something. Mm -hmm. But it's always interesting to see where people are coming from. Um, It's even more interesting because you can historically look back, I think, for the last five years or so worth of ballots and you can say, oh, yeah, I played it, you know, that trip, you know, May 3rd. And you can find your name on there I didn't know a that. couple you years can... ago. <laughs> um, I didn't know that either. That's yeah. really interesting. And what, what's also interesting is you can kind of see when are the busy periods are, are there. And, you know, of course, the days get shorter in Scotland in the winter. So you can see, okay, in June, the first ballot time is 6 a.m. and the last tea time is 6 p.m. Right. But in, you know, December, the first time is 8.45 a.m. and the last is noon or something right. In like the dead that. of winter, there is just about eight hours of light. Yes. That's not sunlight. That's light. <laughs> <laughs> Period. Yeah. I, I, I always like looking at those because you can see, okay, there were, it was a very short period of time for ballot, you know, tea times on December 4th, but there were only nine people in the ballot and you kind of get a sense of well if it's crucial to me that I play the old course and it's make or break I've got a really good shot if I go you know early November or you know uh, March Um, so for those listening who are thinking about a a St. Andrews trip and around on the old courses make or break expand your thinking out from just June, July, or August when, you know, the ballot is oversubscribed and, you know, there's a a fairly decent chance you might not get in. Something else to note is the cost is what, I think, 40% less in the off-season. Correct. Yeah. It's... um, And you get around faster. Yep. One of of my favorite little pieces of memorabilia in the Dunvegan... Um, pub, the famous pub just off the the uh, 18th of the old course, is a printout of a bal- of the old course ballot that shows Sheena Willoughby, um, you know, one of the proprietors, um, as I think the only player, or maybe one of two <laughs> players on a Christmas day. She and Jack um, play every Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he, I, I, yep. And it's just one of those things where, you know, the ballot time is from like 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. or something. And right. there they are at, right. you know, 1045. <laughs> one of the, you know, and you got to remember the other courses are also open, wide open. Uh, one of the happiest days of my time there uh, was I was, I looked out the win- window one early morning after we'd arrived. And just on a whim, I said, I wonder if the new course is open. I mean, if anybody's signed up there. And I just brushed my teeth. It was like 7.30 in the morning. So I just pulled on my clothes, put my bag over my shoulder, and ran the 300 yards to the tee of the new course. Wide open. We got the starter there. Beautiful morning, sir. The course is all yours. (laughs) And I went around there in an hour and 47 minutes (laughs) playing multiple shots to a bunch of holes. 
and came back. And I was, you know, back in the, in the uh, apartment by 9.30 or something like that. I said, oh, my God, this is perfect. Golf. Yeah. This just couldn't be better. And, and, and as a player that likes to play fast, that's I'm sure that's a Yes, a very... my game closely resembles polo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so was the new course kind of your go-to if the old was, was packed? Um, yeah. And in the summertime, they're all kind of packed, but the old course especially so. Right. And new, I was lucky enough to be a member of the RNA, and they have alternate time privileges on the new course. So right. you can just saunter up there, and no matter who's on the tee or waiting, after those people go, you and your group can right. go next. It's, if you are an RNA member. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 A privileges. A, I think that goes back. A, I might be wrong here, but I think that privilege goes back to the RNA funding correct um a lot of things with the saint andrews link so it, it's not simply just uh the, the privileges of being an rna member but you guys pitched in for a lot around the town yeah well yeah but it started a century ago and this is a right. pretty nice extended <laughs> thank you <laughs> with, with no uh end date on, on right. that yes. thank you, so. yeah <laughs> Um, so, what other underrated uh, courses would you would you go maybe outside of the St. Andrews Links courses that you would recommend to visitors? Um, most of them have become pretty well known now. Um, the one I, Ely is one that jumps quickly to mind, but mm-hmm. even that's pretty well known now. It's a kind of semi-private club, but you can get on it, and it's quirky. The first hole has a spyglass like a. From I think from a submarine. Yes. Uh, that uh, what do you call this by a telescope? Uh, periscope. A periscope yep. that goes several feet up in the air to determine whether you if you hit your drive you're going to kill someone on the other <laughs> side of the hill. And you know on depending on the wind uh, you can drive a couple of par fours and it's just it's just a fun course. A course I recommend that, Graham, I don't even know if you've played it, is Downfield. Did you ever get that? No. It's not the one that uh, the person who's going to be there for only a few days would try because it's a, it's a Parkland course. It lo- looks more uh, like it came out of Pinehurst or somewhere in Colorado, big tall pine trees and streams and whatnot. But it's a terrific uh, public course in Dundee, which uh, is, you can probably get there in less than a half hour from, from St. Andrews and uh, uh, reasonably priced, certainly 50, 60 pounds, something like that. And, uh, you know, if you're looking for hidden gem, that's it. I um, yeah, I think a lot of people only know the, the city of Dundee just from driving from St. Andrews to Carnoustie, which means you kind of have to pass by Dundee. But it's a fairly large city, and um, I think maybe the fifth largest in Scotland or something. It kind of flies yeah. under the radar. And there are a handful of courses in and around Dundee that, like you said, might not be something you'd play on your first trip, but you assigned me a piece um, within the last two years uh, called uh, Scotland's Bench Strength. And the idea was Scotland has this really strong kind of uh, tier of B-level courses that would probably be A-level courses anywhere else. And um, the number of courses that I dug up and remembered and had played in and around Dundee was surprising. Right. Um, it, it's a uh, kind of a little unknown gem, it's but something... the, the, the town itself is um, kind of an industrial... Well, uh, it was, but it is uh, red hot at the moment. They have a, a lovely uh, kind of a waterfront, and it's being developed. Uh, they open 
opened a huge new internationally important museum. I think it's Victor, Victorian Albert wow. Museum uh, last summer, and everybody's going there. And it made the the New York Times annually does this fifty two places to go thing, and Dundee was actually on their list. Wow. So um, it's no longer just something to pass by on the way to Carnoustie. Yeah, uh, it's a, worth a stop. Nice. Hey, just a, a quick funny story from uh, my university days. To get from St. Andrews over to Dundee, you pass over, is it the River Tay? Correct. Um, and there's the Tay Bridge. And the Tay Bridge might be a quarter mile long. It's, it's a fairly large bridge. And if we ever played a team match north of St. Andrews where you had to cross over the River Tay, um, then coming back, someone would have to do what was called the port challenge. And keep in mind, all these matches were match play. And whoever, whoever lost their match the worst um, had to take on the port challenge, which was someone prior to the match would buy a bottle of port. And you could start drinking the port the moment the car got onto the Tay Bridge and you had to finish it by the moment the car got oh, off the Tay Bridge oh. as a punishment for having lost your match the worst out of the whole team. And did you ever have to do that? I never had to do the port challenge. <laughs> but not doing it was not an option. If you lost like that the worst, yeah. that was it. So if you did lose... You were fighting up to the very last moment, you know, even if you were just clearly out of the match, solely so that you didn't have to do <laughs> the port challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your interaction with um, students while you're over there? Like you said, it's very much a university town, and a, my experience was always that the um, the town changes pretty drastically once the students come in. And when the students leave, it's very much a tourist town again. And then in January, when the students are away on break, um, it's a very different town again. So it's a... Yeah, I mean, my wife and I used to joke. I said, you know, St. Andrews is a golfer's town. It's an old people's town, and it's a guy's town. She says... I'm not any of those. I said, I'm all three. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, when the students get there, I, I think the average age of the town went down by at least a dozen years, and it was a r- real vitality. Um, and I actually, yeah, I had an, an, an experience, speaking of liquor, uh, the RNA plays a series of matches with the local universities, uh, St. Andrews, Edinburgh, Dundee, Sterling. And they draft the best golfers they can because they're, they're, these matches are played in British terms barefoot, which we mean at scratch, no handicaps. And typically the kids, you were on this team, are all anywhere between plus handicap and five low-digit single digits. And the RNA guys, particularly the ones in residence in the winter, aren't the greatest sticks in the world. So. <laughs> <laughs> One day, I got called. They reached down the roster long enough to get me with my then six or seven handicap. And this fellow, Jim MacArthur, says, uh, would you like to play in this match? I said, well, sure, why not? And they're, they're all uh, afternoon matches preceded by lunch. 
So I get there. I was the last one there. Arrived just on time. But British people are very punctual, particularly if there's free liquor involved. In <laughs> <laughs> so I get there right at noon, and there are all these young kids in their blazer, and uh, it, it's uh, the RNA library. They're having drinks. And MacArthur pulls me aside. He said, look, you're going to be my partner. They're two ball, better ball matches, or four ball, better ball matches. And he said, we have no chance of beating these kids straight up. They're better golfers than we are. And they're also probably better drinkers than we are. But there's no proof that they're better golfers after drinking a lot than we are. So we're going to get them pissed. He said, I don't mean American pissed, angry. I mean British pissed, drunk. I said, okay, I'll have a Bloody Mary. And there were like eight matches, and Jim and I were in the last match, which means our cocktail hour was extended. So we each had a couple of drinks in the library, and then we trooped up to the uh, dining room, which is on the second floor of the Arnie. And we get up there, and MacArthur orders a bottle of the <laughs> claret for the four of us. And by the time the appetizers were done, we'd polished that off, and another bottle of claret showed up. And Okay, so we took care of that and stumbled down to put our shoes on, and he appears out of nowhere with a silver tray. And he says, ah, gentlemen, nectar of the gods, kummel. Who would like some kummel? <laughs> now, kummel, parenthetically, is like the, the haggis of alcoholic <laughs> beverages. It's, it's all rather mysterious what goes into it, but it sort of tastes like liquid rubber bands. And it's really weird. It's, it's an after-dinner drink. And most of it is, most of the consumption of kummel takes place at the RNA Presswick and Muirfield. Yep. So anyway, we bolt these things down and, and walk merrily to the first tee. It was very festive. I, now, I had never played golf with more than a beer in me. And I now had something between eight and ten drinks as I teed it up. But I will say that it was the first time, and I'd played the old course probably a hundred times by now. It's the first time I walked that tee absolutely fearless. And I killed it down the middle. It had to be 300 yards. I hit a, a wedge that, you know, nearly hit the pin and made an effortless par. And I remember well, I, I then went par, birdie, par, birdie. Par, par, par. I, I made the turn in 34. I'd never done that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, you know, MacArthur and I were two up on these kids, one of whom was scratched, the other was uh, two. And Jim's a good player. He's two himself. But, I mean, I'm six, seven. And um, it went pretty well. The 10th, I made a two on the 11th. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. The first time ever I made a two on the 11th. Uh, and then I hit the wall. <laughs> then everything, all the blood started rushing. You know, and I was really drunk, and um, yeah, I, I think I made six or seven at the twelfth, and then I, you know, I kind of sculled one into a bunker at thirteen. I was gone, basically gone. <laughs> it was Jim <laughs> somehow held it together, uh, and uh, we got a one-up victory on eighteen, and um, somehow two other matches were also won. And we we split with the guys. I think it was. The first time in like seven years that the RNA had tied a college team. So it was quite an experience. Amazing. <laughs> That's such a good story. <laughs> well, I, with that, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our uh, season sponsor, and we'll get back to the stories. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. 
This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So my first experience with a club match, like the one you're describing, um, was freshman year, early. I was still very, very new to Lynx golf um, and intimidated, frankly, by the guys on the team. And I got asked if I would play in a club match at Prestwick Golf Club, you know, another one of these places where he said Kumul is, you know, flowing. And I was told we're going to play 36, but it's going to be two rounds of alternate shot. Um, so foursomes, kind of the traditional way of, of doing it. And where coat and tie will arrive, have breakfast, go play, have a big, big lunch, a lot of drinks, and then go play again in the afternoon. And I was paired up with a guy, uh, talking about being intimidated, he was probably, uh, I know he was at least a plus three handicap. And I later found out was not actually a St. Andrews student. He had graduated a couple years earlier, and as the team captain did a few times, he would just kind of bring buddies back to play, you know, whenever they wanted. So the way it would happen is in the morning, I would take the even tees, and then in the afternoon, I would take the odd tees. And in that way, you kind of get to see the whole course and hit all the tee shots. Um, my playing partner in the morning hit a great drive on one, um, or no, I hit a good drive on one, he hit a good drive on two. Three, um, you have to realize people would, uh, your partner and your opponent's partner would walk way down into the fairway. And you hit, they are pretty much on your ball at the point that it lands. And then it's this whole slingshot thing where you play 18 holes and you have two hours, two and a half hours. I nervous as can be topped one off the third tee which meant my plus three playing partner had to walk you know probably 260 yards back and it it was it was the ultimate never ever ever do this (laughs) but we finished up had the huge lunch had all the drinks and i've seen this happen twice once was here one of the St. Andrews students had had a particularly aggressive Presswick host who just kept plying him with drinks. And as he bent over to put his tea into the ground on the, the first tee, he fell over <laughs> and had to be helped back to his feet. <laughs> and, oh, and he managed boy. to play and walk 18 <laughs> holes. Um, wow. But I, I think that was the strategy at many of these club matches. You know, the the host club would try and survive the morning and then just get the students absolutely yeah, pissed pissed yeah. at, at lunch yeah. and then in the afternoon it was their chance to go and press with beat us that yeah. Day. Yeah. yeah yeah well that that st andrews match taught me if i had known i could play so well with all <laughs> that booze in me i think i would have become an alcoholic at age 14 but only and, nine and, holes and you'd be a plus four <laughs> yeah. <in> the, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny well i we um i think we all share a love for saint andrews ian i think has a, a trip that is not set in stone but a very dark pencil at, at yes. this point and is uh, planning a trip over there. So I think we'll probably end up doing a podcast later this season where we 
do the whole kind of booking process with Ian where we talk about, right. okay, where are you? What are you doing now? And maybe a two or three part episode where cool. um, listeners can kind of get there, uh, live vicariously through Ian and learn and maybe learn from mistakes. Um, you know, there, there will be plenty of mistakes. Don't <laughs> worry. But with, with Graylin and, uh, and George helping me out and with the, uh, with the process, hopefully those will be limited, but I guarantee I'll make a, I'll make one or two mistakes. <laughs> so George, let's end this episode on, um, what is your best tip for someone coming over to St. Andrews or Scotland for the first time on a, let's say, a week-long golf trip, it, what uh, what are the, what's your tip and, and what's a pitfall they can avoid? Well, I gave you probably the best. It was go in the winter. Go, go mm-hmm. in the six months you wouldn't expect to want to go. Um, the other is if you're going for the first time to Scotland, it makes all the sense in the world just to go to St. Andrews stay there. Uh, you can get to Muirfield, you can get to Carnoustie, you can get to Glen Eagles, you can get to Royal Aberdeen, and back for dinner easily, uh, just basing yourself to St. Andrews. Unpack once, and of course you have seven golf courses there, and you have another seven golf co- courses plus within probably, well, under a half hour's drive. So I am biased about uh, St. Andrews, but uh, because of everything we've been talking about, the vitality of the town beyond golf and just the the magic of the place, uh, yeah, make your first trip to Scotland just to St. Andrews. Agreed. I, I think that's a perfect way to end this. Um, if anyone has questions for George or uh, me or Ian, send them to us either on social media, we're at Lynx Magazine everywhere, or to the email address, um, letters at lynxmagazine.com. We've been getting a ton of questions lately and a lot of feedback, which is positive. Um, leave us a review on iTunes. That helps out a lot as well. And um, subscribe to Lynx Magazine, subscribe to Lynx Digital, and uh, just enjoy the content wherever you can get it. But George, thank you for coming on today. It's always a blast to talk to you and uh, kind of relive some of your great St. Andrews stories. Thanks, guys. It was great fun.